morning, everyone. Praise God. Um, Revelation 21, 1 through 6, I think he said. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there were no more sea. And John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven, preparing as a bride adorned for her husband. Mm-hmm. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be all people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are past. And... And he that sat up the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said upon me, unto me, Write for those are words and the truth of faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the artist of the fountain of the water of life freely. Words for God. Thanks, Wayne. So I have a confession to make. <laughs> I really love the book of Revelation. Like, like, really love it. So, and setting the record straight, it is Revelation singular. I'm, I'm not mad at you if you say Revelations, but <laughs> John the Revelator's visions are many, but they're kind of told as one kaleidoscopic whole situated from his place, his exiled island in Patmos. I, I don't think it was like an island resort. It was not a good situation. He was expelled from the Roman Empire. So years ago, I bit off more than I can, could chew for a summer s sermon series on Revelation. This is the sort of thing you decide way ahead of time, and it seems like a great idea at the time. And then when you get closer, you go, what have I done? This is probably what Brody has done in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah for my sabbatical absence, so pray for him. Uh, but I was overwhelmed by all the flood of images in Revelation, and I found it really orienting and cathartic to go over to the Scrap Exchange, to leave my pastor's study with all my big fancy books, and go over to Scrap Exchange to get a bunch of 1970s and 1980s National Geographics and start cutting, because <laughs> even kids can cut and paste, right? And so I came up with this collage of all of these images, and it didn't really clear anything up, but it, it helped me start to make sense. Um, I take comfort also that um, others have been so captivated. It's not just me, like, with a room of stuff pasted to my bulletin boards with all the red threads everywhere, you know, like that crazy person. Um, take New Orleans folk artist, Sister Gertrude Morgan. In 19... 56, she started only ever wearing white clothing, symbolic of the clothing of the waiting bride of Christ. And then after 1966 until her death in 1980, she pretty much only drew or painted the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Like she painted it, and she painted it, and she painted it, and she painted it. There, there are so many images Keep going, Phil. Keep clicking. They're coming. 
There are so many images of the New Jerusalem coming out, down from heaven. You get the sense that this was like, this vision was burnt onto her retinas the way a long time ago, if you didn't have a screensaver, the image would be like burnt into your computer screen, right? And she wrote a song, and the song wound up featured in uh, Ava DuVarney's Selma. She said, I got a new world in my view on my journey I pursue. I said, I'm running, running for the city. I got a new world in my view. This was obviously the world that she had in view. And this is precisely what John's visions in Revelation ask us to do, to put a new vision in our view. Because as T.S. Eliot wrote in the Four Quartets, the end is where we start from. You're looking at me like, what is he talking about? He's been looking at too many National Geographics. John's final vision of heaven is not actually an end. It's a new beginning. It's eternal life. When we start to talk about eternal life, the, the beginning and ends kind of, kind of go out the window, and we're talking about everlasting to everlasting, the fitting and ongoing conclusion to God's true story of the whole world. And that story, remember, started with an eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pouring out love and grace and generosity in the creation that was called good. Not just good, very good. But we all know, we feel in our bones, we see as we look around that creation has become corrupted and rebellious, the door was opened for sin and death, and it's a sin and death that we participate in that is done unto us that uh, creates alienation and distance from God. But then God set into motion a rescue plan by calling a community of people unto God's self. This community would be the spearhead of a renewal plan, a people blessed to be a blessing. That was when I was praying for these grads earlier, it kept coming up to me that, that phrase, blessed to be a blessing. And, and, and that seems to be what is in some sense happening at every level of education and even outside of education, but uh, particularly when we talk about the privilege of getting to set aside time, space, finances, resources, everything to study, you are being poured into so that you can then pour out of yourself. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's, the, that's how God chose to, to renew this world to the ends of the earth. And then God sent his own son to live this cross-shaped life and to die a cross-shattered death in order to reform a people around himself, to configure us around Jesus, forgiven of sins for the sake of forgiving sins of the world for the redemption of the world. It's never, it, there's never a bottleneck. We're never at the end of the stream. We're always slipstream in the middle, receiving and passing on the blessings of this generous God. This, this is like the whole uh, course of, of, of things. This is how nature works, that God gives and that, that creation flourishes and, and produces in abundance. And so, this, the, the, the next chapter of the story, and we, we went through this story with our, with our baptism class, the next chapter, God sending his son, is that Jesus would die, 
that story seems, seems to end, seems to have a, a hard stop, like a definite punctuation. And it's very confusing to know how we're going to get from Golgotha's cross to this glorious new creation. And obviously, in the middle is this unique episode in the history of the world. It's really hard to talk about. You sound like a crazy person. It's really hard to study because Jesus rose from the dead, and dead people don't rise. They are not raised. But now, strangely enough, this is no longer unique in our world because we are promised that those of us who die in Christ are united to Jesus. We're bolted on to Jesus so that we also rise with him. No longer slaves to sin and death. No longer living in the shadow of, of fear and finitude, but we experience and we express new creation. Do you see that? That's the bridge to this new creation coming down. One writer sums up the whole Bible's narrative as the sin-ruined sin creation of Genesis is restored in this sacrifice-renewed creation of Revelation. The cross showed us what God's strength and weakness looks like in three dimensions in Jesus. The resurrection puts on display the most incredible thing we couldn't even imagine. Everything we now know about what it means to be human is shown in this resurrected Jesus. A Jesus that has, is raised and won't ever die again, but still bears wounds on his hands, side, and feet. Our bodies will someday die, but death is no longer final. That whole finality is called into question by Jesus' raising. You see, the whole book of Acts is trying to make sense of this in the early church. It's not nearly as perfect or um, uh, there's not nearly as much of a plan as we often think in Acts. They're simply responding to this resurrection power that has, has been unleashed into the world. There's someone walking around named Jesus who tasted death, whose heart stopped beating and whose life ceased, but is now alive and well. This is a person in so many ways like us who beat death by death, and now just about anything is possible. This is, this is the story. Just about anything can be redeemed if sin and death have been beaten, past tense, have been beaten. This is a cornerstone of our faith because Jesus rose from the dead. It flung open the door for our own resurrections, our eternal life, our perfected bodies, our union with the Lord. Paul writes to a church that gathered in Corinth. He says, if the dead aren't raised, then Jesus has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins those of us who have died in Christ have perished. For in this life, if we have hoped in Christ, we are people most to be pitied if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. This should, like Sister Gertrude said, put a whole new world in our view. Because as strange and as opaque as the revelation vision of the end is, it shows us quite a bit about the middle. It shows us where we're going, but also where we are tells us a lot about God, tells us a lot about ourselves. Um, Bible scholar commentator Brian Blunt reminds us at the beginning of John's Patmos vision when he says that he's banished for preaching, quote, the word of God and the witness of Jesus Christ, that 
John, the, uh, the revelator, is really saying the two things are the same, the word of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, the end equation then is rather plain. God's word and Jesus' witness are the same thing. And this is a beautiful and costly new world put in our vision, made and remade by God's word and by Jesus' clear witness. John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, ready-made as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That there is a city, and that that city is coming down to us is really significant. There are way too many going up thoughts and theories and theologies that dominate our imagination. Somehow we need to climb to go up to God. When this happens, it, it makes our view of the world, it makes our work in the world, it makes our family lives and home and life with neighbors often, it, it can make it, so there's not so much of an incentive to invest in life here. You've heard those songs, I'll fly away at this world, it's not my home. Those songs tend to come to people under certain circumstances, but that's another sermon for a different time. But you see, if, if we're always having to go up to God, if that's the only way we get to God is by going up rather than God coming to us, coming down to us, there's either not enough incentive to invest here or there's no longer much anticipation that God comes to us at all. You see, these, these two responses and postures, they, they seem really different and opposite, but I think they're kind of the different sides of the same coin. It's either the world's going to burn to hell with it, where this world is all there is, and if it's going to happen, we better do it. Maybe these two things live in you and I a lot of the time. Either forget it, sweet by and by, Jesus, take the wheel, <laughs> or let's tie our boots tight and let's get to work, right? Either imaginary has become untethered from a hope and an expectation that God comes to us to make things new. You don't get anything from the beautiful scripture that Wayne read beautifully today. It is that God comes to us to make things new. God comes to us to make things new. Before or instead of us doing anything to come to God, God comes to us. And this happens over and over again in history, happens over and over again in the world and in our lives, and ultimately it happens as the kingdom, the dwelling place for God's beloved community, is ushered in. This new Jerusalem comes down to us. If something is coming to you, what should your posture be? Climbing, grabbing, going? No, it, like Sister Gertrude knew so well, it should be as a waiting bride. Someone with eyes welled up in anticipation for our perfect match. We should be preparing lives of intimacy. Lives of nearness with God. Closeness. Even like ordinary domestic things like making home with God. Making a family even the miraculous phenomenon of making a family out of strangers. In, trust me, even when you have kids, making a family is difficult. 
you, you, you birth these little humans into the world that kind of look a little like you, and they are such strangers, and it is your task to make a family. Look, God's dwelling is here with humanity. God will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God, with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There won't be mourning, crying, or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. All of these things have become so normal. The sadness and the grief of the world. But somehow, and this might be the most unbelievable part of this, somehow those things will become untrue. Or at least they'll no longer become defining. Try to imagine that. Like, maybe sit sometime this week and journal, like, what it might mean for there to be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore. Do that in kind of concentric circles, maybe in your own life, in your household's life, on your block, in your city, the state, our world. What that would even look like, what that would even feel like, what would have to, to be turned up to 11 and what would have to go away and never come back anymore. Like, imagine, imagine that, like imagine this city that this is happening in. And imagine that city looks kind of like Durham. Like not even a really big city, there's no skyscrapers or huge like apartment buildings. Imagine our city with no more suffering or sorrow. Imagine our city with no more gun violence. Imagine, like on the 4th of July, the listeners wouldn't say, was that fireworks or gunshots? It would just say, that's fireworks. Uh, maybe, just, maybe there's no listservs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Can I, can I get a witness? <laughs> Imagine there's no more poverty or, or white supremacy or broken homes or gentrification or systemic inequalities that always seem to perpetuate themselves the same ways. Imagine there's none of these like uh, wicked problems that we can solve all these things technologically, but we can't like have good schools and like fair housing, right? <laughs> Imagine like when you drive into Durham and you see our city nicknames, like City of Medicine, Imagine having to explain to your kids what that even means because there's no more medicine anymore because there's no more sickness. Like imagine Duke Hospital, sorry Monica at all, doesn't, like it goes out of business, right? Imagine that. Like City of Medicine would be as weird as the sign, like all the tobacco signage around town where you're like, yeah, this used to be a tobacco place, right? You no longer need medicine when you're no longer sick. Imagine this for everyone in our city, all of our neighbors. It's this imagination, God with us, us with God, not floating on a cloud somewhere, strumming a harp, that'd be pretty cool, but coming to us right here in this renewed and perfected place, in our renewed and perfected bodies that we work and we live, not because we build it. That was, that was Babel's mistake, is trying to build like a stairway to heaven, right? But all this would be possible because Jesus 
has died, has been raised, ascended to the Father, and is coming again. That's the end that we start from. And in the meantime, some of this stuff impinges back upon where we are right now. Like swords can be beaten into plowshares right now. If, if you want, <laughs> it can happen, right? Things will somehow always be what they could have been. I think, I think that's part of our imagination, is that things could be how they always could have been. People will be who they are made to be in all of our glorious particularity and peculiarity. We will be who we are made to be. Our cracked icons of God will be remade into perfect pictures of Jesus. Famously, the reformer Martin Luther was asked what he would do if he knew the world would end tomorrow, and he said, plant a tree. I don't know if he actually said that. It's one of those things, right? But it does echo a Jewish saying that says, if you have a sapling in your hand and they tell you the Messiah has arrived, first plant the sapling and then go greet the Messiah. The point in both of these is that even a little sapling tree like the little tree that we planted and then replanted a couple years later by the parking lot, a little baby oak tree, even those things will, will have time to grow when Jesus returns, have all the time in the world to flower and flourish and provide fruit and space like the mustard seed that grows into something substantial and hospitable, an eternal tree that will be better than we could even hope or imagine. And planting right now, like, the, the best time if we didn't plant that tree 50 years ago is to plant it right now, right? It seems like a feeble gesture, but it's actually a powerful sign of faith and hope to just plant trees. It, it, is, it is an investment in God's future that overlaps on our now and continues forever. And so are all the other small and little and insignificant things that we do with great love every day. So is gathering to sing together and have garden picnics and um, volunteer with babies. Like, so, so are all these little things are, are signs of hope and an investment in God's future now. Um, as you can see, I love the book of Revelation. Um, a lot of these thoughts and hopes and imaginations have, have always found their, their way in the creation and and continuing creation of this community at Oak Church. Um, and that's happened with so many of y'all have, have given further imagination to that. This sort of, look, I am making all things new ethos has permeated the life of our little church in this place. That we try to live in the givenness of this place with patience and joy and nearness to our neighbors, all the while holding great imagination and expectation for renewal and rebuilding and renovation that doesn't wipe out the old but transforms and transfigures it. That we could be people who wait for and welcome the God who arrives, whose spirit continues to surprise us, as we sang earlier, by making all things new in places we don't choose. So... This might be not new info for some people, or it might be new, but currently and for this past season, our elder team has been um, in talks with our landlord here about the future of this building as they consider selling the property. And 
we deeply desire to stay here and continue to cultivate this imagination for God's renewal in this place, in this neighborhood, and especially in this building, right? We are extending an offer, maybe this next week, to do so, but ultimately it will be their decision, and I don't know that there is enough money <laughs> um, to, for it all to make sense, so we trust in God. But I share this not to upset you, but to kind of to activate you in prayer and in concern and in imagination. And then hopefully, you know, um, we'll, we'll, when we own this place, in imagination and generosity and renovation uh, to continue to renew and, and, and do good things with God here. The offer that we'll submit, though, it features this edited video of all these iPhone videos and old pictures, testimonies and memories and audiovisual evidence of the life that Jesus is making possible in, a, in the neighborhood here in our midst. It is ordinary because we've been doing this and oftentimes you have to look at the uh, geotags to figure out which year of, uh, of that event this is from. Um, but it is also really exciting to watch them all edited together to be renewed in this work of hope and healing and hospitality that Jesus gives us and makes possible. So uh, we were on our way to baseball. Um, I, uh, Titus is playing Little League and I'm coaching, and we always listen to like hype music on the way to baseball in our minivan. It's really cool, you know? You, you roll in, coming in hot, all I do is win, those sorts of things. And I told Rach, like, if I needed a hype video for church on Sunday, I would watch this offer video because it is it hypes me up to see the the ways God is growing and building beauty right here and has done so f for almost eight years and continues to do so and and so I just wanted to share that with you. I get hyped and <laughs> and I, I hope y'all too and y'all are like the reason for my hype. Um, but I'm also I'm also hyped because I think. Any sort of like crisis like this, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean like crisis as a cause for alarm, like a crisis, like a hinge moment in which the future is uncertain and you don't know which of several different directions things could go. Any crisis moment is always an opportunity to respond with trust towards God's end. A crisis is an opportunity to respond with trust, to wait for the coming of God in our lives rather than trying to force the issue. It is to be responsive and attentive people who are prepared. That's what it means uh, to live in in-between times and to respond to crisis, to be responsive and attentive people, prepared. Prepared to practice resurrection in as much as it means getting used to the way God comes into dark, depressed, and dead places and brings about light and hope and life. We can't like master this logic or mobilize it for our own purposes, but it is a habit of God that gives us hope that God continues to arrive in these dire circumstances. When we feel least in control, we are forced to rely on God. When we feel least equipped, we're actually at a good starting point to receive God's gifts. To the thirsty, I will freely give water from the life-giving spring, is what John has witnessed. Or 
as Jesus says, whoever might lose their life for his sake will gain it. Unless a grain, a seed of grain falls to the ground and actually dies, there can be no life or growth or harvest or bread. Unless a grape is crushed, there can be no wine. But Jesus comes to us over and over. Jesus arrives in this place as bread broken, as wine poured out. We'll gather around this table to bear witness to that. It is a remembrance meal of a liberation feast. We're made new in the gathering around this table, made out of heart pine from an old NC barn with a bullet shell lodged in it. <laughs> and we are changed every time we open ourselves up to this kind of encounter with Jesus. Every time we make ourselves available to the Jesus who came into this world, who comes to us even now and who will come again to make all things new. This is the end that we start from. This is the hope and healing and hospitality that shapes our lives. Will you all pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks for coming to us again and again. Lord, remind us of all the ways that you've done that in the past. I love the, the testimony earlier. I became a Christian in college. <laughs> what more do I have to say? And, and, and all of these lives packed into this room um, have similar stories of ways that you come to us, ways that our lives are changed by you and, and can be changed by you. Um, Lord, give us that kind of expectation. Uh, ready our hands that we might work with you in this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.